Welcome, Imaginators. Sit back, buckle in, and ignite your imagination. This is the Imaginate series, Season 1, The Man with the Red Umbrella. I'm Joey Massio, the author and creator of Imaginate. I'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show. There are a lot of options for your ears out there, and we appreciate you choosing us. If you'd like to help out Imaginate, the best way is to share the show with friends. Post a link on social media and tag friends with kids who would enjoy the story. Also, leaving us a rating on iTunes would be very much appreciated. If you'd like to be kept in the loop with updates or notifications of when new episodes post, follow us on Twitter at Imaginate Series. You can join our mailing list by going to www.imaginateseries.com or you can follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imaginate series. This episode is brought to you by Junebug Baby Products. Have you ever been watching TV, holding your baby, when your nose catches a whiff of the smell? Sure, you could take your kid all the way to the diaper changing station in their room, or you can just reach over for your Junebug diaper caddy. It's portable, fashionable, and can hold everything you need to address the dirty deed your smiling little cherub created just for you. Check it out on Amazon, Junebug Diaper Caddy. Life is messy, but it doesn't have to be unorganized. And now, Imaginate, The Man with the Red Umbrella, Episode 4. Taken. I was on duty all night, said Rufus to the newswoman. Rufus, the elderly security guard, ruffled his white mustache. I didn't see a thing. The newswoman brought the microphone back to herself. When was the last time you saw the mystery float? She smiled at the camera and aimed the microphone back at Rufus. During my rounds, I do a perimeter check of Warehouse B, the one the float was stored in. At 11.45, I peek inside, and all was well. Then when I came back at a half hour later, the float was gone! A half an hour is all the time it took for the thieves to do their job, said the newswoman into the camera. A minimal amount. They were magicians, I tell ye! Pure professionals! He was getting a little too worked up for the newswoman, who took a few steps away from him. Thank you, Rufus. The camera followed her, but so did Rufus. It wasn't my fault. Twenty-seven years and not one breaking on my watch. Not one. Impressive. She gave an awkward side smile to Rufus and stepped closer to the camera. The mystery float is missing. You heard it here first on Channel 3. I'm protected by my union, said Rufus, grabbing her microphone. The newswoman signaled to the cameraman and he stopped recording. Nate and his friends stood at the edge of the caution tape, a few yards away from the interview. I wonder who took it, said Alex. HB Toys? asked Thomas. The mystery float stopped them from winning the Tulip Trophy. 
Ooh, that would be cool. Alex's face lit up thinking about the possibilities. Maybe they sent in mutant lizards action figures to steal the float. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. If anything, they send in a razor raptor to take it. Anything in its way will get ripped to pieces. No way! Mutant lizards would be so much better. You're crazy. One Razor Raptor could take on the whole mutant lizard crew. As if. Nate, what do you think? Nate stared at Warehouse B, unblinking. Yeah, Nate. Mutant lizards or Razor Raptors? Neither. A Razor Raptor would cause a big scene and get caught. The mutant lizard's one weakness is modern machinery, so he wouldn't know how to work the float. I sent in a batch of helicopters to watch the perimeter and a squadron of Uncle Sam action figures, a mobile command unit, to drive the float out before anyone knew what was going on. Nice. Good call. Nate never took his eyes off Warehouse B. He had hoped to get a closer look at the mystery float. Really study it and see it, that it wasn't exactly the float he had imagined in his mind. Some things were probably different, and that would make him feel better about it not being his. A girl's voice came from behind. Uncle Sam's are how I would do it, too. The three boys turned around. It was Claire Greensboro. It wasn't that anything was wrong with Claire, other than she was a girl. She moved in at the beginning of the year, and nearly six months later, she still hadn't shaken the new girl vibe. She was in their grade, quiet, had brown hair, all things Nate didn't mind. She did do this funny thing where she never looked anyone in the eye, even if she was talking to them. But even that didn't bother Nate. She mostly stayed to herself and didn't hang out with anyone in particular. But the one thing he didn't like about Claire was that whenever the boy started playing, she would always come around. At recess, lunch, and even after school. What? Uncle Sam's? Claire said, looking everywhere but at Nate. It was like her eyes were following some annoying fly buzzing around her head. Instead of a razor raptor or mutant lizards? Of course, if the warehouse was surrounded by landmines, the Uncle Sam's would be toast. Leaping before they look is their one downfall, but sending in a swarm of ZZ Tops to set the landmines off would clear the path and give them plenty of time to escape before the authorities arrived. Alex and Thomas looked at each other. Then at Nate. A girl was telling them about action figures. Something had to be done. Don't be dumb. Uncle Sam's don't leap before they look. Well, they kind of... No, they don't. Claire's eyes focused on the ground. I guess you're right. I... She mumbled the rest of the sentence. Nate felt a little better. At least he could control this situation if he couldn't control this stupid float. The front doors of Warehouse B flung open and out marched Gloria Jenkins. Gloria Jenkins was not a tall woman. She was not an attractive woman. And under normal circumstances, she was not a pleasant woman. Given the fact that someone had just stolen something valuable from her, 
you didn't want to be in the same hemisphere with her. She was one of those people nobody really liked, although everyone pretended they did. All of the news cameras turned to her. She walked as she yelled at Herman Withers, a small man in an expensive suit. Herman was Gloria's personal assistant. His large glasses looked like they had to cling to his face for dear life or they'd be thrown off in a wave of sweat and nervous shakes. Nate couldn't pick up everything she screamed at Herman, but he did hear lazy, stupid, and waste of atomic particles. Herman frantically scribbled down notes, apparently recording the list of insults Gloria called him. Gloria reached the edge of the caution tape, and the news cameras gathered around. She had about a bajillion microphones jammed into her face in seconds. Gloria didn't mind it, though. She absorbed the attention with pride. Reporters asked a dozen questions all at once. Miss Jenkins, who do you think stole the float? Will you be pressing charges? How much did the mystery float cost? Who are you wearing? Have the police made any progress? Gloria silenced the reporters with a lift of her hand. When she was sure she had all of their attention, and the cameramen were properly focused, she spoke. The police, along with my staff at Primo Robotics, they are doing all they can to bring the scoundrels that did this horrendous crime to justice. My number one concern is the children. She gestured her fancy diamond-studded fingers towards Nate and his friends. A few cameras turned on them. Alex waved excitedly. Thomas gave the coolest what's-up nod he could give. Nate looked like a deer in headlights that was caught in a bear trap that was being recorded for thousands of people to see across the country. Luckily for Nate, the cameras quickly turned back to Gloria. The float was made in honor of my son's sixth grade class. Gloria continued, and Chris Jenkins stepped out from behind his mother. Chris had blonde hair like Nate's, but it was smooth and seemed to do anything Chris told it to do which most of the time was to hang slightly in his face. Chris acted like he didn't care if he was popular, and that made him even more popular. He typed away on his U-phone, which never left his hands, not even now for the cameras. It didn't even look like he was aware that there were cameras. Is that the latest U-phone? Asked Alex. Looks like it, said Nate. It d d doesn't come out till next week. Thomas's eyes went wide. Those are the perks when your dad designed spaceships for the government. <laughs> Gloria patted Chris on the head, then went on. I will not rest until every piece, every flower, every glorious part of the float, from the frame to the wheels, is returned back to us where it belongs. Gloria went on, but Nate didn't hear another thing she said. Everything had come to a halt when she said that one word, wheels. Nate's world had stopped spinning, but the gears in his head did not. Did she say wheels? But the mystery float didn't have wheels. It floated. I saw it. That's what made it so cool. Was I the only one at the parade who saw under it? It was a float that actually floated. Surely the person in charge of building it would know that. 
Unless Gloria Jenkins was lying and she didn't build it. But if she was, whoever did build it would step forward and call her a liar. Unless the person who created it didn't know that he created it. Maybe he just thought he did. Maybe. Guys! Dude, we're right here. No need to yell. Come with me, quickly! Nate took off running. Alex and Thomas looked at each other, shrugged, then followed Nate, leaving Gloria Jenkins and the news cameras behind. Nate ran past his mom and Mrs. Witten, who were chatting about something or other, and made his way behind the closest warehouse. They rounded the corner, out of sight from the police, news people, and everyone else, and Nate turned to his friends. Guys, the mystery float is mine. What? You stole it? No, that's not what I mean. I created the mystery float. His two friends looked back at him, not really knowing what he meant. I know it sounds crazy, but I imagined the float at the parade. Everything about it in my head. Race cars, army men, the bear on the ball. Then boom, there it was, rolling down the street. Not rolling, though, floating, with no wheels. And did you hear Mrs. Jenkins? She said wheels, but it doesn't have wheels, because I made it with my mind. Alex and Thomas stared at Nate in silence. You, you made the mystery flow with your mind? Yes. Oh, this is a game we're going to p p play? Okay, I dig it. I thought we were going to play pirates today. I've been practicing my args. No, that's not... Ooh, I want to be an evil warlock then, with telephonetics. Telekinesis. Whatever, I call it dibs. Alex climbed up on a wooden crate by the dumpster. I'm the one who stole the mystery float with my powers. <laughs> he swirled his hands around like a magician and let out an evil laugh. Thomas stood up straight and crossed his arms. I'm the wise old sage who trained you before you t-t-turned evil, and... Nate threw his hands up. No! Okay, you can be the sage. No, I'm serious, guys. I really created the mystery float. For realsies! Nate's friends dropped their playtime act. That's impossible. Alex jumped off his crate. Yeah, that's the kind of thing people say before they get a one-way ticket to crazy town, yeah. I know. You guys can't tell anyone. But I felt different ever since yesterday. Like I'm special or something. It was your b-b-birthday. You're supposed to feel special. Yeah! You're just supposed to stop feeling special when it's over. Go back to boring old normal you. Give the next guy a shot at it, y you know? I know. Nate kicked a pebble on the ground and sighed. It would be cool, though, wouldn't it? If you could create things with your mind? Yeah, that would be totally cool. The giant waves tossed the little ship back and forth. Alex yelled from the crow's nest. The fog is too thick. We can't see where we're headed. Arrgh! Garg, garg, garg. 
Thomas turned the ship's giant wheel to the right. I need to know where to turn. There are rocks everywhere. The ship swayed. Thomas almost lost his footing, and Alex nearly fell out of the crow's nest. Captain Pegleg, what are your orders? Nate stood at the front of the ship, peering out over the dense fog. He wore a tricorn pirate hat, a thick leather belt with a giant golden buckle over his tattered and dirty clothes, and one boot on his left leg. His right leg was gone. A scratched-up wooden peg stood in its place. Nate turned on his peg leg and faced his shipmates. He spoke with a rough and commanding voice as he yelled over the sounds of the angry ocean. We need to find the lost treasure of Stintopia. It's worth more than all the gold in the world, and it's buried out there somewhere in the deep. Alex yelled down. This fog is too thick, Captain. We can't see where we're going. We'll never make it out of Death's Cove. I don't know where to steer us, yelled Thomas as a wave crashed into the side of the ship, spraying sea mist into his eyes. Nate looked into the faces of his trusted friends, and he knew what he must do. Looks like we'll need to use the telescope. Thomas and Alex gasped. Are you sure, sir? No human has ever been able to control its power. I can. Nate said heroically as he puffed out his chest. I've been practicing. It will tell us everything that we need to see. Nate ran down the steps onto the lower deck towards the cabin doors. He jumped over a pile of thick rope, but the ship rocked violently to the left. Nate's foot landed awkwardly, and he fell hard and slid across the deck to the empty cannon hole on the edge of the ship. He slid right through, off of the ship and into the air, when a hand grabbed his collar. Nate hung there against the side of the ship. He looked up to see Thomas reaching out of the empty cannon hole. I gotcha, Captain. Thomas pulled Nate back onto the ship. Nate patted Thomas on the back. He ran across the deck flung the cabin doors open and disappeared into the dark. Moments later, Nate reappeared, carrying a sleek wooden box in his hands. He ran up to the top deck, where Thomas held tight to the wheel. Nate threw open the box. Inside was the bright, shiny, tell-us-scope. Made of the purest gold on earth, the brightness that radiated off of it lit up Nate's face. Currently, it was no longer than a foot. On one side was the eye hole, small and clear. From the eye hole, the telescope grew larger, and on the opposite end, there was a thick, rounded glass that looked like the side of a bubble. Nate pulled it all the way open until it was as long as his own arm. It was scratch-resistant, dent-resistant, and fog-resistant. The telescope could see through fog, rain, water, and even solid objects. Nate put it to his eye. With it, he could see clearly through the fog. All around them were huge, jagged rocks. It was a miracle they hadn't hit one yet. Then something caught Nate's eye. On a tall, distant, jagged rock, Nate saw a man. Just for a brief moment, The man stood there, not moving amid the crashing waves around him. 
He just stood on the highest peak, wearing a purple suit, staring at Nate's ship. In his hand, he held a red umbrella. Nate wiped off the telescope on his shirt, then looked again. No one was there. Strange. Nate shouted out commands to his shipmates. Starboard! Portland! Straight! Last! Thomas navigated the ship through the dangerous waters with ease, around every rock and over every wave, until they were safely out of Death's Cove. The water was calmer here. The fog was still thick. Alex pulled a map out of his pirate vest. The map says it should be right around here somewhere, Captain. Nate aimed the telescope down toward the deep black ocean. With this wonderful instrument, Nate could see through the water. He twisted the telescope to see even deeper into the ocean. He passed a school of green and orange fish, passed two sharks fighting to the death, and zoomed right through a giant man-eating octopus to the bottom of the ocean floor, where he saw it. A huge, diamond-encrusted treasure chest was waiting for them at the bottom of the ocean floor. I see it. It's right beneath us. I'll get it! Alex dove off the top of the crow's nest and into the water. Hey, who says you get it? said Thomas as he climbed down the jungle gym. He ran across a sandbox after Alex and they both started digging in the sand. It's my stick! Nate stood up on the playground, still looking through the telescope, which was a rolled-up newspaper he had found under the slide. Any luck? Found it! said Thomas as he pulled a stick out of the sand. Alex grabbed it away from him. Let me see that. That's not my stick. Mine had a bug on it. Nate climbed down from the jungle gym. He looked at the rolled-up newspaper in his hand. A moment ago, it was a golden telescope. Now it was dirty old paper. We should head back to my house. Dinner's probably ready. Alex dropped the stick. Great! I'm starving! Nate threw the rolled-up newspaper to the ground, and the three boys walked across the park back to their neighborhood. As the three of them disappeared around the corner, the man with the red umbrella came out of his hiding place behind a nearby tree. He slowly and carefully surveyed the scene, studying the slide, the monkey bars, and the climbing wall all in turn. He walked through the playground with his red umbrella in front of him, sweeping back and forth like a metal detector over the sand. It beeped casually. He walked to the rolled-up newspaper and waved the tip of his umbrella over it. Nothing. He walked across the sandbox, and the beeping increased. It led him to the corner where he stopped. His red umbrella pointed straight at the ground and was beeping like crazy. The man pulled out a pair of old gloves, purple like his suit, and put them on. He kneeled down and moved a few handfuls of sand aside, revealing a smooth, curved glass that looked like the side of a bubble. He uncovered more. The glass was connected to gold, bright, shiny gold. The man pulled out the small, little treasure and used his hanky to wipe off some sand 
still clinging to the object. He turned it over in his hands and ran his fingers across the engraving on the side that read, The Tell Us Scope. The man with the red umbrella put it in his pocket and left. Voices for this episode were by the superbly gifted Bobby Massio, Michael Rosenbaum, Jessica White, and Dana Sobel. Imaginate theme music by the melodically amazing Jeffrey Larson. Until next time, Imaginators, don't spend your time worrying that you might not be awesome. Instead, spend your time finding out exactly how awesome you can be.